The scripture reading for this morning is Mark 1, verses 4 through 11. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The word of God for the people of God. This worship service is being filmed on January 7th, one day after the disturbing events in our nation's capital. I was on my way over to the church, in fact, to film yesterday, as we do each Wednesday afternoon, just as the news broke of the violent mob breaching the Capitol walls. Like so many of you, my mind and heart will carry those ominous images for the rest of my life. Earlier in the week, I titled this sermon, A Wild Inauguration, having no idea what yesterday's events would be, but knowing that this political season has already been wild in tone and action. Every four years, our democratic society chooses a president, and we celebrate and uphold the rights to free and fair elections. And even if we did not vote for the candidate, being inaugurated on January 20th, God willing, our society upholds a peaceful transition of power. Inaugurations are punctuated by an event that kicks off a new era, a new role, a new sense of identity, and a new beginning for a person and a people. The 2021 presidential transition has been more disruptive than our founders would have wanted it to be. The trip to the White House has been more like Mr. Toad's wild ride at Disneyland than a smooth path. Inaugurations, new beginnings, bring change and sometimes immense change, which is difficult for some and untenable for others. Change is hard. But the only way we grow and mature as individuals and as a collective is to acknowledge and admit our faults in the words of our confession, in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone, and then commit to change our ways. We have a theological term for this kind of change. It's not popular in progressive circles but it's time we reclaim it, and it's repentance. Repentance is a loaded word. Images of street corner preachers yelling, repent or damnation is coming. 
that might be the image that comes to mind for you. Central to John the Baptist's message for the preparation of Christ's coming is the message of the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. Metanoia simply means making a turn in one's life, to turn around and go in a new direction. Repentance is putting on a new mind to think differently. To repent is to clear space inside ourselves, to hear and to see things in a new way, to clear space for wisdom and understanding. Repentance is what we are doing when we pray the corporate confession each week in our worship. Our current national crisis demands of us repentance as individuals and in our collective hearts and minds. Where do we need to admit our faults and confess our mistakes? How do we at this time in our nation's history head in a new direction? We witnessed some legislators on Wednesday night courageously change their minds and their votes in light of the day's violence. Every year, we mark the inauguration of Jesus into his mission through baptism. Jesus' baptism inaugurated his emergence from his private life as Mary's son to his immensely public life as God's son. And at his baptism, Jesus began to fulfill his call to liberate and redeem the world. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each have their own account of the baptism of Jesus. And when there is a story that shows up in all four gospels, we must pay attention. The story of the baptism of Jesus is telling us something essential about him and what sort of reign he is ushering in. Mark's is the shortest gospel among the four, but Mark took more space describing the scene near the river. And it is disquieting to say the least. John the Baptist is an unsettling character. The crowd naturally assumes John is a prophet. If one dresses like a prophet, eats like a prophet, and cries out for people to repent like a prophet, we'd ask, are you a prophet? Which the people did. John, are you Isaiah? And no, he answered, I'm a mouthpiece. Remember, John was a PK. That is, he was a priest kid, the son of Zechariah, who was a temple priest. And like so many PKs have been known to do, John rebelled against the religious establishment of his father. John chose a far more radical way of expressing his faith way outside temple walls. John's way of calling people to repentance was far from anything you and I have witnessed. No sweet baby's face looking up into John's eyes while he splashed a palm full of water on their head. In the Gospels, the author depicts the scene at the Jordan more like the scene from Martin Scorsese's film, The Last Temptation of Christ, or a Burning Man gathering in the desert. It was chaotic, cacophonous, untamed. There was nothing orderly, certainly not Presbyterian, about John's baptisms. 
as we conjure Mark's description in our imaginations, as we're invited to do with scripture, we get a hint of the wildness of the kingdom of God that was inaugurated that day. New life had come to the world. A collective metanoia began. Baptism for Jesus was an inauguration into his identity as God's beloved son. Emerging wet with the waters of the Jordan, Jesus saw the heavens torn open. A rupture in time and space took place, and out of that rupture, the Spirit of God descended and alighted upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And the voice of God proclaimed the identity that would shape Jesus' self-understanding until his death. Beloved Son, in whom God was well pleased. Jesus heard the truth that he was God's beloved, deep in his core, and throughout his life, he was continually reminded of that truth. When he healed the dying, he remembered, I am God's beloved. When he ordered demons to depart from people they held captive, he heard, I am God's beloved. When he went against the Roman Empire, he did so as God's beloved son. When he turned over the tables, calling out the religious powers for making God's temple into a den of thieves, he remembered who he was, God's beloved. He was not of this world. He had been marked and set apart until the bitter end, even dying upon the cross, Jesus understood himself as God's beloved. In our own baptisms, we are given a new identity as God's beloved children. A new name is whispered into our ears by the voice of the Spirit. You are my beloved. You are mine. I know you and call you by name. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I will never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate you from my love. Baptism for us is an entrance into the wild and precious life of the Holy Spirit. When we claim our baptismal identity, we wear our own name, beloved. We are able to give God freely our everything. We are able to love the Lord our God with our whole hearts and souls and minds and strength. As we grow into our baptismal identity, we can give over to God little by little our past regrets, our present anxieties, and any fears we have about the future. As we grow into our baptismal identity as God's beloved, we can repent without shame. We can make a turn in our hearts and our minds toward the ways of God. When the Spirit descends upon our lives as the dove descended upon Jesus, she brings with her the fruit of faithfulness. And we know the fruit because we begin to see the signs of the Spirit's presence. More love, more joy, more peace, 
patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and more self-control. They'll bloom around us. If we live into our baptismal identities as beloved, we also start to see others as beloved too. Where there is the spirit, there is no room for hatred or violence or condemnation. Jesus was marked, called, blessed, and given to the world to proclaim the good news to each of us to set you and me free from what holds us captive, to give sight to our blindness, to heal our sickness, and to feed our deepest hunger, to help us repent for the forgiveness of sins and to turn toward God's good grace and mercy. We who understand ourselves marked by the same waters of baptism and are called beloved, should feel ourselves called to courage in embracing our true identity. We choose whom we will serve. This week, friends, let us commit to pray for those civil leaders recently inaugurated to their elected roles. Let us pray for all who went through the trauma of yesterday's violence. Let us write them notes of thanks for their work to keep our democracy alive. Let us also pray for our president-elect. Let us pray that he prepares himself for his inauguration and the heavy responsibilities that will come with it. May all our leaders inside the church and in civil society wear the mantle of compassion to foster a church and a democracy that keeps our eyes on the needs of those who stand outside the walls of power. May our hearts be open to all God's children whom God named beloved. And may God's grace be with us all today and in the days ahead. Amen.